Uh, great to see you all this morning. Um, you know, I hope you all know that I love to see all of you this morning, but I cannot, cannot. This is, this is my favorite time whenever Robert and Lois come back home. Robert and Lois are here. Welcome them back. Like, what a, what a joy to have, uh, what a joy to have Robert and Lois back with us. Um, I, I, I'm not just saying this to sweeten them up. Every time they go away for months on end, they come back looking younger and fresher and fitter. And, uh, and so these guys have, uh, for those in case you don't know, uh, Robert and Lois have um, been away, not for as long as they usually go, uh, but they've been in Zambia for, for the last number of months, uh, just continuing to, to be a blessing and to serve. And, uh, and, and so we're just so grateful um, that they're part of uh, this family. Um, others here that maybe not normally here, you're so, you're so welcome, and everybody else. Uh, we're on this, we're on this series, um, church. Why bother? We're asking ourselves the question: um, Is it worth it? What is it? What is it? What, what does it truly mean when uh, Paul? writing to the church in Ephesus said, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is going to be displayed everywhere. It's through the ecclesia that the manifold wisdom of God is made known. And for me, I keep using that verse because that, that's, that's that becomes our, almost like our anchor point throughout this series. We want to we ask this question really honestly. We want to we open it up to be as honest as possible. Because maybe for some, like waking up on a Sunday morning and getting the kids ready, there maybe is those literally asking those questions, why bother? And as we go through this series and to where we've already been, is uh, just looking at this idea of grace, what it would be like to be a grace-filled community, what it would be like that uh, no matter what we do, no matter what programs we put on, no matter how what we do or what we say, if it's not, if it's not foundational, if it's not rooted in love, we just sound like a clanging cymbal. And you'll remember the great job that Daniel did being that clanging cymbal for us, illustrating that point. If it's not from a place of love, then we just sound like a noisy, clanging, annoying cymbal. And then David last week brought us around the table. And we've been wanting to, we've been wanting to look at the importance as we ask the question around church. We've wanted to to say it's really important uh, to think about where you're looking. We've talked, as, we've talked a wee bit about looking up. We're here this morning for an audience. Uh, we're here for an audience of one. I, don't, I want to get away from the, uh, that I'm the performer and you are the audience. He's the audience and we're here to worship him. First and foremost, we're here looking up. And as we continue to look at what it is to be the church and to live out the church as he intended, we want to look, we want to look in and we want to look around and we want to look out. And uh, we've touched on that a wee bit. And I think this morning we're going to look in. We're do, going to do a bit of looking in as we talk around the next, uh, the next point that we want to take on this, this week. And it's Holiness. Holiness. And just for, just for a moment, maybe you already have an idea. Maybe there's already something springs to mind when, when I say the word holiness. If there isn't, I'd love you to consider what is, it, what, is, what is it that comes to your mind? What do you visualize? What do you think 
How would you define it? What is the words that come to mind when you would think about what holiness is? For some of us, it's maybe, we maybe define it as moral, moral perfection, moral purity. Maybe for some of us, we define it as keeping all the rules. Holiness is keeping all the rules. Maybe for some of us, you're more visual. Maybe you've already begun to picture in your mind uh, a certain style of dress, a certain style of speech, certain way of talking. I said to Jason this morning, Jason, I'm speaking on holiness. And look at your jeans. And he pointed out that his jeans are already holy. And uh, but maybe that's what's in your mind. Maybe it's uh, maybe you're visualising the way somebody should dress. And I feel I have to point this out because it's so grieved me this week. And and I've you've heard me saying this several times about needing to stay away from Twitter because Twitter can just be the most toxic place on earth. And, uh, and there's a guy that runs a ministry in Scotland called 20 Schemes. He had the most horrific upbringing, radically saved, and the work that he's doing among the most, uh, the most poverty-stricken areas of Scotland uh, in the most deprived, run-down neighborhoods across Edinburgh and Glasgow and beyond is absolutely remarkable. But this guy, Mez, and I would encourage you to look him up, and I would encourage you to buy his books, read his story, remarkable story. And, uh, and so Mez is known, he's, he's known, he's, he's brought to all these big conferences he's brought, and he continues to wear the clothes that he wears amongst the people that he's serving. And so if you were to look, if you were to look him up, you'll most likely see him wearing jeans, a hoodie, and a beanie hat. And he was asked to speak at a, at a well-known conference recently, and uh, everybody on the stage, everybody in attendance was wearing shirt and tie. And Mez rocks up to do the seminar, the first, uh, the first seminar in his jeans, hoodie, and a beanie hat. And the abuse that he's faced on Twitter for co- turning up at a conference where everybody else is dressed in shirt and tie uh, to share the story of how, what God's doing across Scotland, for me, is absolutely demoralizing. And for you, for maybe for some of us in the room, that that is important to you. And like in some ways, I don't want to to be disrespectful towards that. But to read some of the the vitriolic abuse that this guy's faced is horrendous. And it's because people have this 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 idea fastened in their minds what holiness needs to look like, it needs to look a certain way of dressing and a certain way of communicating. And I, my fear, honestly, is as I like. I hope you know that this is like some, all of this stuff that we're going through in this series. That like, this is this is where I find myself. This is the wrestle that's going on in me. As much as I want to uh, communicate it to you in a way that you would begin to wrestle through this too. And I sometimes be challenged by the way that I have understood holiness. I sometimes think of the way the church has understood holiness, and I wonder: is that is our understanding of holiness led to? Uh, these judgmental attitudes? Has our understanding of holiness led to this overbearing legalism? Has our understanding of holiness led 
to judgmental attitudes? Has it led to overbearing legalism? I know for me, part of my journey is like there's been moments where I look back on that I can see that that has been the case. And I think what we want to look at this morning as we continue to unpack what I think the Bible is telling us holiness is, what holiness looks like. My feeling is that we have ruined holiness uh, when we have turned it into a list of don'ts. We have ruined holiness when we've turned it into a list of don'ts with very little do's. And again, as I I was thinking about this throughout the week, I'm, I'm asking myself the question, I'm asking this church the question. I'm asking those that I'm in conversation with, are we more known for what we're against or are we more known for what we're for? And so over the next couple of, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk a wee bit about newness. As we think about this question, why bother church? Why bother? We're going to speak of newness and we're going to speak of flourishing. Because I'm desperate that we would become known more about what we're for than what we're against. And I think we ruin holiness when we turn it into a list of don'ts. And so there is some don'ts. There's some don'ts in Ephesians chapter 4, reading this over the last couple of days. Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to look at it, uh, uh, do that. Um, But I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Um, You were taught, verse 22, I'll just start from there. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on a new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Hold that, even hold that, actually. Hold, hold that for as we, that line as we consider uh, more of what we want to suggest holiness looks like. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then he goes on there, for each of you must put off falsehood. So, so don't lie. But the don'ts are only there because of the do's. Don't lie. Put off all falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And so we're seeing the, the, the importance of, of putting off your old self. Don't keep going back to the old corrupt, corrupted desires. Don't do that. But there's more to it than that. The don't is only there because of the do. The don't is only there because you have been made new. You've been created anew. You've been made new. So put on the new self that was created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. The don't is there, don't lie, put off all falsehood, but it's because you are to speak, uh, speak the truth, for we're all members of the one body, that's who we are. The don'ts are there because of the do's. So again, I want to keep on asking you, what, does it, what do you think of when you hear this word holiness? I think maybe for some of us that have, that have heard this being spoken on before, maybe I've automatically thought it means separate. It means to be separated. And I'm not saying that that's not right. I just want to suggest that it is so much more than that. As I've looked through some of the the verses uh, throughout, right across the Old Testament, and I read through some some of Paul and 
even into some of what Peter has had to say. Holiness means devoted to. Devoted to. And so, and so in some ways it is separate. It is separate, but it's separate in order to be. It's separated in order to be devoted to. So I think how this impacts on our lives is that we are not saying that to be holy is that we live lives separated from the world. So we would that we would live lives that look like they're set apart, but we would live lives devoted to God. I'm increasingly convinced that to be holy means that all we are and all that we have belongs to him. To acknowledge that all that we have and all that we are belongs to him. Everything that we have comes from him and every part of our lives is now shaped and directed towards him. Our lives are now, are now shaped, they're fashioned, they're being molded so that all that we have is directed to him. We're devoted to him. Holiness means devoted to. And I want to just, I want you just to think about this, continue to, to run with this idea for a moment. If our idea of holiness is limited to not doing certain things, Again, I, like, I know that this is true. I feel like I'm testimony of this. If, we, if our idea of holiness is limited to not doing certain things, I think we can go through our entire lives obeying all the rules, but never conforming to the likeness of Jesus. I feel like I'm testimony of that. Testimony of, of limited to not doing certain things. My idea of what it is to be holy as he is holy is limited. I'm not saying some of this stuff isn't right, but I think it's limited to not doing certain things. And I end up going through our li- my life. We can go through our lives feeling like we're obeying all the rules, but never conforming to the likeness of Jesus. I think we can go through our lives obeying all the rules, but never devoting everything. Our whole lives being shaped and directed onto him. I truly believe we can do that. I feel like I'm testimony of that. Obey all the rules, believe all the right things, convinced that that is the way to be holy, yet never looking more and more like Jesus. And sometimes I think our idea of holiness our idea of holiness and we probably wouldn't say it but the implications of our understanding of holiness would make people believe that you can you can manufacture it you can produce holiness because if it's about if it's about obeying all the rules if it's if it's about not doing certain things then we can manufacture it, then we can produce it. Because it's so much about what we, it's so much about what we are doing and what we are not doing. That we convince ourselves that we are becoming holy and that we can produce it, that we can manufacture it. But we need to hear this, we need to, I need to hear this, we need to hear this. It's holiness is, can only come from God. Holiness can only come from God. It, holiness is God's spirit at work within us. And so in, uh, in Paul's writing to the church, 
the Thessalonians, he says, First uh, Thessalonians 5, verse 23, he says, God himself, the God of peace, may he sanctify you through and through. May he sanctify you through and through. And then in the next letter, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, and Paul says, from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. This idea, another, this idea of sanctification. Essentially, it, it just means what I say. It's God's Spirit at work within us. So I'm saying it's, it's only God that can sanctify you through and through. It's only God that can, that can save you through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And so the idea of sanctification is simply the process of making something holy. And it's really important that you hear that word process. Sanctification is the process of making something holy. It's the process of making something more like Jesus. And if you we were to take the, the much of Paul's writings, I believe that throughout, throughout all that he is saying to all of the churches, it's, to me anyway, it's so clear that holiness and salvation is a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process and struggle, but it's all worked out in the context of local church. It's all worked out in the context of the one another's that Paul speaks extensively about throughout his letters. So it's so to me it's so clear that this process of sanct this process of making something holy, this process of making something more like Jesus, that is so much of what Paul is speaking to throughout his letters. Holiness and salvation, it's this lifelong process, it's this lifelong struggle but it's worked out in the context of local church. Worked out in the context of one another's. And we just speak to this idea of process for another few moments. I want to again suggest to you that salvation is not a one-time event. Salvation, as I heard somebody say it, it's not a one-and-done moment. Paul, in Paul's writing, and again, in my story, salvation, holiness, it's a process. And there's an element to salvation that, that Paul talks about throughout his letters that speaks of the past, present, and future. And so in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, Paul says, by this hope we were saved. By this hope we were saved. And there was a moment, and for, for, for some of you in the room, for many of you in the room, you know what that moment is. You know the date. You can identify the moment that that took place. You can identify when it was, the date, the time, the encounter. You know that past moment. By this hope we were saved. But then Paul writes in, in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, he says to the church here, continue to work out your salvation. Continue to work out your salvation. There's a present element to this. It's an ongoing, it's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing struggle at times. Work it out, continuing to work it out with fear and trembling. It's a past element. There's a 
present element. And then again, Paul to the church in Rome, he says, the day of salvation will soon be here. The day of salvation will soon be here. This is a process that we've entered into. This idea of salvation, this idea of holiness is a lifelong process and struggle worked out within the context of local church. And Paul often, there are the three verses, but Paul often is speaking to the past, the past elements in the present, working this all out now. and speaks to the future that one day your salvation, it's going to be here, it will soon be here. I've been thinking about this quite a bit over the last number of months and, uh, and some of the stuff that John is going to help us think through over the next couple of weeks. I think he'll pick up uh, off the back of, of some of what I want to share. Uh, what I want to share now. And, and uh, as, if, as we follow the trends, I think there's certain trends of evangelism, types of evangelism, uh, trends throughout the centuries that we can, that we can uh, pick up. And I think the most common one to us, I think the, the most common one to me anyway, is what, what I want to call crisis evangelism. A crisis evangelism is where we, where we provide the presentation of the gospel, and it's usually the professionals that do it. We, we, get, we get people who don't know Jesus, and we get them to come to the meeting where the professional is going to bring the presentation. And then in the crisis moment, uh, there is a decision to be made, and we're most common with that. And that it's not, I'm not. There's absolutely no criticism of that, uh, but it's not the only way. It's not the only trend. It's not. It's it's so much. It's more modern than you would believe. This uh, idea of crisis evangelism, the idea of uh, uh, the idea of a professional bringing a presentation to bring people to the point of decision. I think for many of us in the room, we're, that's, we're really familiar with that, but it's incredibly modern. The, the, the idea of process evangelism is probably most common through, like, throughout the centuries, throughout the early church, throughout the first uh, thousand years almost, the idea of process evangelism. And it was the, it, I think it's important for us to hear in Ireland because that, it was the Celtic way. The Celtic way of evangelism was this, was this process and it was so, so it meant that it was journey based. It was entering into a journey with people to take them from where they were to where they wanted to ultimately see people find hope and joy and purpose in life. And anybody that's been around me for long enough over the last number of weeks will probably have heard me speak about. Uh, John chapter one and John chapter two, and it's been ever actually it's been ever since that I uh, I spoke on the, at the on the wedding at Cana at the, at Nicole and Chrissy's wedding. But while I was preparing for that, I just I just I find myself keep coming back to this. Like, is this does this really happen? I'm convinced that it's, it's this idea of process evangelism that was so common to Jesus. See, in John chapter 1, we're told of how Jesus called out his disciples. He called out the first disciples in John chapter 1, verse 35. He called them out and they began to follow him. We see him calling Philip and Nathaniel, Andrew, Simon, Peter. 
That's what the, much of the second half of John chapter 1 is speaking to. So Jesus has went along and he's found these guys fishing. And he's called them out. He says, come and follow me. Come and be my disciples. And what I find interesting is when I was reading through John chapter 2 again, I come to verse 11. And it says, this the first of Jesus, of the, his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory. And his disciples put their faith in him. And I just went, I just found myself going back there over and over again to see if it's, is it actually saying what I think it's saying? So they've been following him. They've been called his disciples. And it was only after the first miraculous sign that then they put their faith in him. I think it's a clear sign of this idea of process evangelism, taking people on a journey until they come to that point where they just acknowledge and trust and believe Jesus is who he says he is. Because they were disciples. They were disciples before they put their faith in him. They were followers of Jesus. They followed him before they put their faith in him. And so this idea of process evangelism, I think it's, it's really important. It's really important for us to, to think this through, to wrestle through this. And so it's no criticism of the crisis evangelism, but I want to, I'd love us just to consider this idea of process evangelism. And as I spent some time with, uh, with one girl in particular this week who's running the food bank, doing incredible work uh, with the food bank and the social supermarket down in, in Lisbon, chatting with her and I suppose what she's doing is, uh, is a wee bit of this process evangelism. But for me, it was a wee bit, it felt like they were even pushing it a wee bit further at times. This idea of, ex- it almost felt like it was experience evangelism. As I began to think of that, I thought of, I thought of um, like the journey of, of dropping. And there's been times where we have brought people on mission that have not yet put their faith in Jesus but they've come and they've experienced what it is to be on a mission trip, what, if, what it is to experience a mission team. And, from, and there's, been, there's been some that from that, from experiencing what, what is going on, experiencing what God is doing, experiencing being around the environment of, of Christian people, they've come to put their faith in Jesus. They've experienced being on a mission team. I was just chatted with this girl this week, some of the incredible fruit that they've seen from their from their ministry in Lisbon has been people that haven't not yet put their faith in Jesus volunteering to be part of the food bank. And as they come in and they begin to see how, how the food bank is ministering to the needs of people in real poverty in Lisbon, like some, like it would, I believe it would surprise most of us in this room to hear the extent of poverty just 30 minutes down the road. And so volunteers have come and they've seen the, what the church is doing. They've seen what people that are following Jesus, that have devoted all of themselves unto him. To me, that's what it is to be holy. They've devoted all of their lives. They've shaped and directed all of their lives unto him. And they've allowed other people to come in and experience the food bank, experience all that they're doing. And people walk away, but cannot help, but, but almost fallen into relationship with Jesus experiencing something of the kindness of Jesus being made evident through those that bear his name. 
And so I think there's all of that to say, it's a process. All of that to say, it really is a process. Becoming more like Jesus is a process. Becoming more like Jesus, I think, is what holiness really looks like. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, it's a, it's a chapter worth reading. It's a letter worth reading. But Peter here, in this verse, he says words that sometimes I just, I find really hard to understand. What, what do I do with this? I think in, 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 a, in a certain way of looking at holiness, it feels like it's so unattainable. It feels impossible. It almost feels ridiculous that Peter would say, be holy. The Lord says, be holy as I am holy. And if our idea of holiness is, is moral perfection, if our idea of, of holiness is keeping all of the rules, then we net, we, that, like that, is, that is something Peter is telling us to do that is just impossible for us to do. But if we think, if we, we begin to think that, div, that the idea of holiness is devoted unto, it's devoted to, I think there's some of that begins to make more sense. Not that it's, not, in some ways, not that it's any easier because ultimately we can't produce it. We can't manufacture it. It's a work of God. But he's decided to partner with us. He's decided to partner with us. And throughout much of what Jesus says, he said, he's telling, telling the disciples just as I'm sending you just as the Father has sent me. Love, love everyone. Love one another just as I have loved you. And throughout the letters of Peter, we see that this idea of imitating, of replicating the, the life of Jesus. And so I think it begins, it begins to make more, make more sense when we consider this idea of devoted to, that we would be devoted to in the same way that he is devoted to. That I, I would even push it as we think of this in the context of the local church, that we would be devoted to one another in the way that he is devoted to us. I think to be more devoted to, to li lives that are shaped and directed onto is what it looks like to be more holy. To, to be more like Jesus is what it is to be more holy. To, mo to replicate, to imitate an increased imitation, I think, equals an increased holiness. And again, we, we, we look at what, what, uh, what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. Again, it's language that is really difficult because it says, just like the Father is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, be merciful just as my Father is merciful. This idea of imitation is what he's calling us to. This idea of imitation is, I think, what it is to become more holy. And so I, I think we begin to test it as we go through the Beatitudes, as we go through verses like this in Luke chapter 6. Be kind and ungrateful to the wicked, like the Father is. Be merciful just as he is merciful. And I, I want to finish with a story. I, I, I'm hoping that in some ways it lands because... I read this story during the week and uh, it felt like it just has fitted in this, to quite a bit of what we've talked about around love and around grace, even around the table and, and then this morning in regard to holiness. 
It's a story of a, of, a, of a church in the United States. Let me just read it, and, uh, and then the guys will come and finish with one last song. One Sunday at Cookman United Methodist Church, a man for some reason came forward to announce publicly that he was a new believer in Jesus Christ. I need help, he said. Then this man poured out his soul before the congregation about his past life and how he'd been in jail for five years. He then began to weep. And the worship leader put her hand on the man's shoulder and the minister, Reverend Donna Jones, came to his side to lead him to kneel at the altar. Love this picture. kneeling at the altar with this guy. And an elder came and anointed the former prisoner with oil. Then the worship leader, attentive to the church's responsibility to lead folks out of Egypt into the promised land, which if you're familiar with the story, you know that that is a process. Into the promised land said, the church is the place to get the kind of help you need and to love you to wholeness. This is what Paul has in mind from the moment he began to talk about holiness and redemption in all ways. The church is the place to get the kind of help you need and to love you to wholeness. So Father, I thank you for, I thank you for Jesus and I thank you for one that came to dwell among us came to identify with us, came to empower us and equip us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you came to form us and to fashion us in the likeness of Jesus. And so, Father, I just pray you would help us to continue to, to understand what it, what it looks like to be holy as you are holy to be merciful as you are merciful, to be sent as you are sent. And maybe we can, we can chat back and forth around language, but we wanna, we wanna believe we, we are certain of this, that you've called us to be a people that would lead others to wholeness. And even thinking of what David shared right at the outset, God, the brokenness and the hurt and the pain that people have experienced in this room. God, that would be redeemed in such a way that it would be devoted unto you in such a way that it would be made holy. Be devoted unto you in such a way that it would help lead others to wholeness. We continue to believe that we are called out people, called out for the welfare of the community that we find ourselves in. And, uh, and so we, we thank you for being with us. We, we're just, just desperate for your presence. God, we continue to create a deep desire, deep hunger within us for worship, for your word, for your world. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.